This morning we're going to continue uh, in Genesis, in our story in Genesis. Again, be talking about Joseph, and Joseph is a, uh, there's a lot in there about Joseph. There's a lot to learn from Joseph's life. So I titled this message today, The School of Adversity. Kids, why do we go to school? To learn. We go to school to learn to prepare us for life, correct? We go to school to prepare us to be whatever we feel that we're, God's called us to be or what we feel we're called to be. Prepare us to be doctors or writers or teachers or mechanics or engineers, whatever it is. We go to school. It helps prepare us and grow us to shape us into what we want to be with our lives, want our lives to be. The school of adversity. There are times where God uses adversity in our lives to mold us, to shape us into the kind of character, the kind of person that He wants us to be. Joseph was in the school of adversity. We're going to look to Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Remember last week, before I begin, Joseph's brothers, what did they do to him? They sold him. They sold him. Sold him to a band of Ishmaelites and told his father that he had been killed by a wild beast. Verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Pontifar an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So his master saw that God was with Joseph. It was evident to him. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had put under his and all that he had he put under his authority. And so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I think I shared that last week. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I'm going to pause for a moment, because Karen already, she, she didn't know what I was preaching on. When we sin... There's a problem a lot of people don't realize. When we sin, we are sinning against God. That's the most important thing we have to understand. Yes, it might cause grief to some person that we've sinned against, but the most important thing that we must understand in here, in our minds, in our hearts, 
we're sinning against God. He may have been able to take care of, his, you know, go into her and kept it a secret for a long time, but God would have known. It would have been a great sin against God because God says do not commit adultery. When we sin, when our nation sins, we are sinning against God, the God that created us and made us. Verse 10, So it was as he spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. There was no flirtation on Joseph's part. He did nothing to provoke her. He did not give in to her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Friends, when temptation comes, run. Run. I don't care what the temptation is. Run from it. Turn and run the other direction. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until her master come home, until his master come home. Then she spoke to him with these words, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was when the master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into, into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we give you praise and glory and honor. We thank you for your presence here. We, we just invite your Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts and our minds that we would receive the understanding and the knowledge that you would have us to understand, Father. And Father, I just pray that as, as we learn from the life of Joseph how we can more fully trust you, as we learn from Joseph the things that we should turn from, the things that we should or should not do. And Father, I just pray that you would just guide us and direct us, Father, that we would live a life that is faithful and true to you, and Father, that we would not sin against you. And Father, again, we just thank you. Thank you for your word. And may your word be lifted up and may your name be glorified today through your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when we study our Bibles, we find so many peoples whose stories, whose lives are connected with God and are connected with God and, and it, it, His plans to have a relationship with mankind. God will use so many people in, in a major way. There are many major characters in God's plan in His relationship and His plans to redeem man. We know Abraham is a major character, right? He is the man that God chose to grow a nation that would be called the nation of Israel. And through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We know that Noah was a major character in the Bible. It was through Noah and his family that God would repopulate the earth after the great flood. We know that Moses was a major character. 
He was the man chosen by God to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt after they'd been there in bondage for 400 years. The 12 apostles, major characters in the Bible, the ones that Jesus chose that would go and preach the gospel to the world. We know that the prophets, many major prophets, Elijah, Elisha, major characters. Joseph is a major character in God's plan of his relationship with mankind. And then we have those that are, let's say, minor characters that are mentioned in the Bible. One that we spoke of today, Potiphar. Potiphar, maybe is a more correct under pronunciation. Potiphar. He is a minor character, but he was used greatly by God to fulfill his purposes and his plans. Potiphar was an, was an officer of Pharaoh. His official title was Captain of the Guard. This means that he was a very important person in Pharaoh's kingdom. Captain of the Guard could indicate several different things. It could be that he was actually the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguards, the one in charge of Pharaoh's bodyguards, or his peacekeeping force. Remember, Pharaoh means he is king. Pharaoh is king of Egypt. Think about the security personnel it takes to protect the President of the United States. The Secret Service. Not only do they protect the President himself, they protect the president's wife or spouse, protect children. In every place the president goes, they go before him, prepare the city or the town that he's going to. Not only that, the military. If there's a threat, an imminent threat right away, the military, boom, boom, they're there. I mean, they'll have jets in the air in minutes. They'll have missiles ready to protect. There is so much security to protect a king or a president. It would boggle your minds to think about it. He could be the man that's in charge of all of this, protecting the king of Egypt. There would be a large force, a very large force, providing security. Many scholars believe that Potiphar, 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 I'm going to get this right sooner or later. He was also in charge of the prison where those who disobeyed or displeased Pharaoh would be sent. And also, they may, he may have been in charge of the executions, the executioner. So we don't know all of the duties that he may have had as captain of the guard. Potiphar's role in God's plan, in God's plan was... That he was the man. It wasn't by accident that he was the man to purchase Joseph from the Midianites. Potiphar brought Joseph not to be used as a slave out in the fields, to work the fields, but for the service of the house. He was a household slave. Do you ever look at the events or circumstances in your life or the lives of someone you may know and think, wow, it's hard to understand why things happen the way they happen. Why did this happen to happen to that good person? They were a good person. Why did that happen to them? Why did it happen to me? I'm a good person. Why do these things happen? You know, look at Joseph's story. As a free man, 
He was hated by his own flesh and blood, by his brothers. Now his father loved him dearly, doted over him even. But he was hated by his own brothers, sold as a slave, and winds up in Egypt as a slave, as a servant. Rejected, envied by his brothers. But strangely, it would seem that his situation actually improved after he was no longer a free man. The scripture actually said that Joseph was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master the Egyptian. And the Lord made all that Joseph did to prosper. He was successful in everything that he put his hands to. Everything that he put his mind to. Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. Potiphar did not have to concern himself with anything concerning his house. They say that the Egyptians in that area in that time would have been growers of vegetables and livestock. So if he had, Potiphar had gardens to grow the vegetables for their household and had livestock, he didn't have to worry about any of that. If there was a building project to be done in his home, he would have been a wealthy man for that time. In charge of Pharaoh's bodyguards, his guards, he was a wealthy man. He didn't, if there was a building project at home, Joseph took care of it. He didn't have to lay those floors by himself. Joseph took care of it. If there needed to be anything done out in the field, Joseph took care of it. Potiphar did not have to worry about anything. He was free to be concerned with his duties to Pharaoh. Didn't have to worry about anything at home because he had a faithful servant named Joseph who was going to take care of all of that for him. He knew that he could trust him. He knew that God was blessing his house on Joseph's behalf. Imagine that. An Egyptian being blessed by God only because of that faithful servant named Joseph. You know, Joseph would not have read this. He wouldn't have known this because it was written after his time. But Jeremiah 29.7 says, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. Think about that. In its peace you will have peace. Everything that he did may have been blessed, was blessed by God. But remember this, Joseph was still a slave. He was still a servant. He was not free to leave and go home and find dad. He was bound to his master because he paid a good price for him. But he's still being blessed. How would you react if you found yourself in a similar situation? Rejected by your own family? A captive in a foreign land? Could you pray for them? Could you pray for your master? Could you pray for those in that foreign land? And I don't mean pray that God would send fire down out of heaven and destroy them. Could you actually pray for their benefit? That God would bless them. That they would have peace and prosperity. Pray that they would know God. Could you pray for them? My friends, we are called to love our enemies, aren't we? And to pray for our enemies. Would you serve them with the best of your abilities, the best of your talents? Or would you just do the most, 
the, the least you could do to get by, to keep from getting beaten by your master? Or would you give them your very best? Joseph did. He gave him the best of the abilities that he had, the best of his knowledge, and he trusted the Lord. Joseph knew that God was with him in that situation as a slave in Egypt. God may have caused everything Joseph did to prosper, but remember this. He could not keep it for himself. Joseph didn't have some huge bank account. He probably had no bank account. Everything that he did, all his blessings, was actually for the master, the Egyptian. What a picture of how we are to serve the Lord. He is our master. Everything we do should be to bless His kingdom. Not ourselves, but to bless His kingdom. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10 says, We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles... I hope these words describe us as believers, right? We patiently endure troubles and hardships, calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity. Can we say that? We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us. Do we faithfully serve God whether people honor us or despise us? Whether they slander us or praise us, we are honest but they call us impostors. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. And I think I had a different version than what was on the screen. I think I forgot to put New Living Translation. Still made sense. Joseph was giving spiritual riches to others. He didn't own anything, yet he had everything. If he stayed in his home with his father, pampered by his father, I should say, he may not have ever developed the character that God would need him to have for the plans that he had for him. It was necessary for him to go through this school of adversity to learn to trust God in every situation that he would find himself. All seemed to be going very well for Joseph and Potiphar's house. But as I said, good handsome Joseph, good looking man, defined features, there was trouble brewing. As handsome as he was, Pontifer's wife cast those longing eyes for him. 
It was just too much for her seeing him day in and day out. Seeing that fine-looking man working around the house, doing his chores, taking care of things. She just couldn't take it. You know, Egyptian women at that time, they were not kept in the same secluded manner as females in most Oriental countries. They were treated in a manner more worthy of a civilized nation. In fact, they enjoyed much freedom, both at home and abroad. And Egyptian women were very loose with their morals. So therefore, she figured, hey, Joseph's here, hubby's not home, she's going to have her way with him. But he wouldn't give in. Day after day, she kept trying, trying to convince him to lie with her, until one day there was no other servants in the house, and grabbed the hold of his garment. So he fled the seductive woman, leaving his garments behind in her hand, which we have learned that she used against him to bring false accusation against him. Proverbs twenty three twenty seven says, For a harlot is a deep pit, and a seductress is a narrow well. Joseph exercised faithful control over his person. Faithful control. He controlled himself. I have known believers, those that profess to be Christians, say, it doesn't matter what we do. We are saved. Christ died for our sins. He is spirit. If I sin, if I do wrong, it's, it's not I doing it, it's a sinful man in me doing it. So it doesn't matter. Well, friends, I'm going to say that does not line up with the Word of God. We are to have self-control. We are to demonstrate self-control of our own person. We are not to say, well, He died, so it doesn't matter what I do. I believe in Him. It's okay to go out and do what I want and sin if I want to. Not so. Romans 6, 15-18 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Paul says, certainly not. We're not just to go on sinning. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that, th- that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness, not sin. A Puritan preacher once said, Joseph may have lost his coat, but he kept his character. Leave your coat, leave the sin, and maintain your character. Self-control is a very important part of one's character. Very important part of preparing one for leadership. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now we don't quite understand that thinking today because we don't have walls around our cities. But where there are no walls... Anything can get in. And anything can come out. We can't just allow anything in to our minds and our hearts. We have to guard them, protect them. And we can't let anything out. We have to control what we say and what we do. 
We have to trust in the Lord. Trust in His Spirit. Surrender. We have to be His servant. Surrender to Him. Be His slave. Joseph's next teaching in the school of adversity. He was thrown into prison because of that unjust accusation. Verse 20 and 21 says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So again, he's a slave in Potiphar's house, prospers, does well, puts him in charge of everything, finds himself in prison, and the prison keeper sees that the Lord is with him. He is a leader. And he puts him in charge in the prison. You know, how easy would it have been to become discouraged? How easy. Your brother sold you. You became a slave. You're faithful there. An unjust, a lie spoken against you. You get thrown into prison. How easy it would have been to say, Lord, I have been faithful to this time and look what it has gotten me. I am now in jail, in prison. No hope. Hopeless. It would have been easy to do that, to become discouraged, to even become angry that God allowed this to happen to you. But He did not. He remained faithful. He trusted that the Lord was still in this. That this was the Lord's doing. Hard to understand and see that, but we can trust. He trusted the Lord. He demonstrated again those leadership responsibilities, or the responsibilities that He had. All the things that happened to Joseph was God preparing him. You know, it wasn't just a few months or even just a few years that all these events took place. The Scriptures told us whenever Joseph was sold by his brothers, he was 17 years of age. And we know that when he was released from prison, we'll get to that here in a bit, he was 30 years old. 13 years. He was either a servant in the house of Potiphar, or he was a prisoner in the prison. Now we don't know how many years in each place. But I do know from the Scripture that he was at least in prison for over two years. We don't know how to break it down, but we know because of another event that happened, he was there for at least two years, possibly more, probably more like three, four, or five. So all those, time, all those years, he remained faithful. You know, we get impatient after a couple months. But 13 years, he trusted God was with him. He was faithful to God. Now, I'm not going to read the whole Scripture, but I'm going to give you an abbreviated version. So Joseph's in prison. And I said that this is a prison where Pharaoh would send those that displeased him or made him angry, and he would send them off to prison. So Pharaoh, for some reason, I don't know what, he got angry at his butler. A butler was the one that would put the wine in the cup for the Pharaoh and would take it and drink it and taste it and make sure it's good. And if the butler didn't die in a few minutes from poison being in the wine, the Pharaoh knew it was safe to drink, right? So that's what a butler did. The chief butler. Chief butler. Chief butler was cast into prison. And then the baker. He did something too to make Pharaoh mad. Maybe the bread wasn't raised as it should have been. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't as flavorful as it should have been. Maybe the sweet rolls weren't sweet enough. I don't know. 
But whatever reason, he cast the baker and the butler into prison. And not by chance the same prison where Joseph was. So after the baker and the butler had been in prison for a little time, they each had a dream. And they had a troublesome dream. Not just, it wasn't a sweet dream. It was a troublesome dream. So each of these men, they dreamed these dreams the same night. Joseph noticed their countenance. He knew that they were sad. He could tell by looking at them. God gave him discernment, right? So he asked them, what's troubling you? Why is your countenance low? Now this is my version. Why are you sad? So they each shared their dream with Joseph. And the butler says, in my dream, there were, I think, three cups. Whatever, I'm just going to give you a real abbreviated version. So Joseph interprets his dream that in three days, you will be restored to your position. You will be beside Pharaoh, again, putting his cup in his hand. The baker had three baskets on his head. I remember that one. So Joseph interpreted his dream in three days, you will be hanged. You will not be restored. So each man's dream turned out just exactly the way Joseph interpreted. The butler was restored. The baker was hanged. But Joseph asked the butler, when you go back to your position, remember me. Remember me. Petition Pharaoh on my behalf because I was put here unjustly. But the butler goes back to his position and forgets all about Joseph. For two whole years, he forgets all about Joseph until Pharaoh himself has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream that troubles him. He had this dream where there were seven strong, fat, plump, healthy-looking cows down by the river grazing in the pasture, the nice, plush, plentiful pasture. And seven gaunt, ugly, weak, sickly looking cows come up out of the river. And they eat the seven healthy cows, but yet they are still just as skinny and ugly and gaunt looking as before they ate the seven cows. And then there were seven heads of grain, full and plump and healthy looking. And seven sickly grains that come up and they eat the healthy ones. And they too look no better than before they ate the healthy ones. So Pharaoh calls all of the wise men of the land and tells them the dream and none can interpret it. And finally the butler says, forgive me, forgive me for I have forgotten about one that we met in prison. He tells Pharaoh that we each had a dream, the baker who you hung and myself. And this man interpreted our dreams And they came true just as he spoke. So they quickly sent for Joseph, brought him out of the prison. Of course, didn't bring him right to Pharaoh. They had to get him cleaned up. He had to shave and get a haircut and get some proper clothes on. And brought him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh reveals his dream to Joseph. And Joseph says, let me forget this most important part, God will give the interpretation. He didn't take the credit for it. God will give the interpretation. So Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream that there's going to be seven years of plenty, abundance in all the land. 
The land's going to produce like it's never produced before for seven whole years. That's the seven healthy cows and the seven healthy grains of wheat. But then there's going to be seven years of famine to follow like you've never seen before. Things are going to dry up and wither and die. So Pharaoh should appoint a man to put in charge to take a fifth of all that everyone grows for the seven years and store it up for the seven years of famine. Genesis 41, 39-44 Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as, a, as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put gold chain, put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. You see the progression through Joseph's adversities? He first put him in charge of little things, didn't he? Put him in charge of a household. Put him in charge of a prison. Then in charge of an entire kingdom. It was through this school of adversity that Joseph's character became the kind of man that he needed Joseph to be. To lead the entire kingdom of Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh. So he goes from being a hated brother to a servant to a prisoner, to ruler of the land, second only to Pharaoh. Not only would his brothers bow down to him, but all of Egypt bowed down to him. All except for Pharaoh himself bowed down to Joseph. I have an extra scripture I threw in there in Matthew 25. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his own ability, and immediately went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, the one who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground, and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. Beside them. And he said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Faithful in a few things, He will make him ruler over many things. What a story of Joseph's life. Joseph's life. He was faithful. 
He trusted God no matter what. He was faithful and God blessed him. He was over many things because he was faithful in the little things. Proverbs 4, 23-27 through 27 says, this is New Living Translation, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That's where self-control comes in, doesn't it? Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from doing evil. Be faithful to God. Even if you're in the middle of that adversity that may be you may be experiencing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look straight to Him. And then one last scripture. Psalm 31, 1-5. And hope that we can all say this from our hearts. In You, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in Your righteousness. Bow down Your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. God is our refuge. He is our rock. Let's trust in Him. When we find ourselves in that adversity or temptation or wherever it is, let's remain faithful. Let's trust in Him always and forevermore. Amen?